Amen. Thank you, Sandy. Our reading this morning is from the book of Exodus. Exodus. We're going to start in chapter 2. We'll read a few verses from chapter 2 and then jump into chapter 3 together. So it's Exodus chapter 2, verse 11, uh, page 59 in your pew Bibles. It would be helpful to have your Bible open as we sit under the authority of God's Word together. Exodus chapter 2, we begin in verse 11. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. And then we'll jump over to chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, 
Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. Well, we've been uh, taking a few weeks just to remind ourselves of some of the names and the titles that God takes to himself and the context in which these names are given or taken by God. And last week we began appropriately enough at the beginning. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, Elohim. He was there before the world was created. He is the uncreated one, utterly self-sufficient, not dependent upon created things to give him his being. One God and yet in three persons. And that plurality in perfect unity is at least hinted at in the very first verses of the very first book of the Bible. This week we are on our way to the second book of the Bible. Humanity has sinned against God, and yet God in love has called to himself a people. And he has given a promise 
I had a lecture in college, 2001, uh, in Belfast, who said to me, the whole of the Bible is just a working out of the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God calls Abraham to himself and makes him Abraham, the father of many. And he gives him this wonderful promise. I will bless, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is a great promise. But as Abraham and Sarah get older, they begin to wonder what has happened to this promise that God has given. An old man and an old woman, an old husband and an old wife, way beyond the age that you would expect someone to give birth to a child. Has God forgotten His promise? The answer, of course, is no. And in Genesis chapter 21, Isaac is born. Abraham and Sarah can hardly believe it, this old man and old woman, but God had not forgotten them, and neither had He forgotten the promise that He had given to them. But then no sooner do we have this moment of great joy as Isaac is born, we turn to the very next chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 22, uh, verse 2, then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. What will become of the promise if Abraham is obedient to God? If Abraham sacrifices his own son, the child of promise, how will he become the father of many, father of this nation, this people that God will bless? Nevertheless, Abraham does obey. He takes Isaac. They go up the mountain. Isaac says to his dad, the fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answers, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So Abraham obeys. They go up the mountain. He prepares a sacrifice. His hand is on the knife to sacrifice his child, his son, the child of promise, the one whom he loves. What is going on? Has God forgotten His people? Has the Lord forgotten His promise? Again, the answer is no. Before the knife 
cuts before the knife falls. The angel of the Lord calls him by name and tells him to stop. And an animal is provided for the sacrifice. God had not forgotten his people or his promise. And then we come to our passage for today in the book of Exodus. Again, it seemed to some that God had forgotten His people, and God had forgotten His promise. They are now in Egypt as slaves. This huge superpower, which goes um, beyond the, the, the wisdom or the power of any other empire of the day. And it goes on for a long time. This is not just for a moment. It's not just for a year or a few years. These Hebrews, these Israelites, they are born into slavery. They live as slaves and they die as slaves, generation after generation. What happened to the promise of Genesis chapter 12? Where is the blessing of God on His people? Has God forgotten us? Has God forsaken us? Moses is on the run in Midian. He sees a bush burning, but not burning up. And so he approaches, and God speaks. He's to take off his shoes. He's standing on holy ground because the presence of God is there. He uh, obeys, and God introduces himself. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. He has not forgotten. He has not forgotten His people, and He has not forgotten His promise. The eyes of God have seen. The ears of God have heard. The heart of God has felt. And the hand of God will reach out, reach down to rescue the people that He loves so deeply. He is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the one who was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be faithful to the Israelites in Egypt. And the one who was faithful to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob will be faithful to us. Even when circumstances may seem to tell us otherwise, as believers in Jesus, we have been grafted into the family of God. And all of the promises of God are yes and amen to us in Christ. All of those wonderful promises, the assurance that God will never leave us, never forsake us, never stop loving us, they are ours in Christ Jesus. 
be assured today, no matter what you are facing, no matter the struggles, no matter the circumstances, no matter the situations, God has not forgotten you, and He will show Himself faithful. He was faithful to Abraham and Sarah. He was faithful to the Israelites as He raised up Moses to set His people free. And He will be faithful to us. So God meets with Moses at the burning bush to call him to go and to set his people free. So we look at these verses. There's one verse I think that we like, one verse that we're less comfortable with. So verse 8 is what we like to hear. So verse 7, we, we, are, we encounter the wonderful reality that God has seen the misery of his people. He has heard their cry He's concerned about their suffering. Then verse 8, So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what we like to hear. God has come down to rescue, to put right that which has gone wrong, to bring His people out of a bad place and to place them down in a good place. That's what we like to hear. Verse 10, not so much. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Moses' response is, here am I, send someone else to be slightly uh, tighter to the text, his response is, who am I? Who am I to go to Pharaoh? By this point, remember, Moses has been humbled. He tried already to rescue a Hebrew slave. He tried to be the great hero, and it didn't work. Now he's on the run, wanted as a murderer. We like verse 8, but not so much verse 10. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Those are the verses that we like. Now go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. That verse is more of a challenge, isn't it? Who am I to take on a task like that? Maybe we've tried once before or a few times before, and we've been burnt by the experience. We've tried to take the good news of the gospel. We've tried to make disciples, and we've been uh, not received warmly. We've, we've been burnt. We've been hurt. We've been frightened off, and we feel as though we're on the run. We recognize that it would be much easier, much more comfortable just to keep it all to ourselves, to keep it all in, in here. But still, the call of God is to go, to go out there and to make disciples. 
we say with Moses, who am I to take on a task like that? But it's the wrong question. The question isn't, who am I? The question is, who is my God? In whose name, in whose authority am I called to go and to speak and to serve? That's the question. And eventually Moses gets there. He asks the name of God. Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Amen. It's, it's an unusual name, isn't it? A verb rather than a noun. The verb to be, I am who I am, or just I am. He is. He's not defined by who or by where he came from, like us, because he has always been. I might define myself by my parents, or by the place I was born, or by the place I was brought up, or by the job that I do, the people that I'm related to. Not so for God. He is not defined by anything outside of His self. He is not dependent on anything He has made to make Him who He is. He eternally is. And if that is hard for us to grasp, then that's a good thing. Because we should never feel that we've truly, fully comprehended who God is. He will always be beyond our ability to fully grasp, to fully understand. We will never be able to tame or to domesticate God, nor should we want to. But we do know that He exists without needing other things to make Him who He is. The God who meets with Moses is simply, I am. Unchanging, self-sufficient, sovereign over all He has made. He is God, and this God gives His name to Moses and through Moses to His people. If you want someone to know you, one of the first things you do is you tell them your name, don't you? He gives His name to His people. And He promises His presence. Who am I, says Moses in verse 11. God's first response is, I will be with you. That's what Moses needs. He needs to know that this God will be with him as he goes. As frightening as it is to enter into Egypt, to approach the Pharaoh, he needs to know that this God will be with him. Maybe he could go singing that wee song, Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. 
He is with Moses, and he will be with the Israelites, and that will be better, actually, than even the land that the Lord will take them to, the land flowing with milk and honey. What matters most is that God will be with them. The eternal I am has not changed. I am is his name forever. He will never become I was. He is always forever I am. He is still the same today, still the God who remembers His people and His promises. No matter how you feel, no matter how things look, irrespective of the situations you are facing, the battles you are fighting, or how long you've been fighting those battles for, no matter how you feel, He is the God who is forever faithful to His people and to His promises. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never have an off day. He will never stop loving you. He will always show Himself to be faithful. He is always working for the good of those who love Him. His grace will be more than sufficient as we step out in obedience to the Great Commission, as we step out in faith. His grace will show itself to be sufficient. I remember listening to an American uh, pastor give a well-known talk in which he says, I am not, but I know I am which sounds nonsensical at first until you realize where the, where the comma is. I am not, but I know I am. Ross is not, but he knows I am. That's true for all of us in Christ. We know or we ought to know that we are not. We are not the hero. We are not the Savior. Uh, we are not the one that people should look to to find life and hope and purpose and peace and joy. We are not, but we know the one who is. We know the great I am. And we are able, in the name of Christ and in the power of the Spirit, to tell others, to share with others the good news of Jesus, that they might come to know Him too. Of course, we can say that only because of Jesus. He is the new and greater Moses, the great Redeemer. He is God made man. God come down to rescue and to redeem us from our slavery to sin and to death. He saw our misery as we lived enslaved to our sin. He heard our cries. He was concerned about our suffering, and so He came down in love. He came down in Christ to rescue us. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet He was without sin. He lived that perfect life that we have failed to live, that He might become the Lamb without blemish, slain for the forgiveness of our sins. He fulfilled the law that we have broken. He met the mark, made the grade, 
and yet willingly in humility humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross for us. God spared Abraham from sacrificing his son. And yet in love, God the Father sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God himself did provide the perfect lamb without blemish. This God wants us to know him, not just to know about him, but to know him relationally, to know him indeed as our Father, this great I am, to know the great I am as our Father and our friend. And He's given us more than just His name. He's given us His Son, and He gives us His Spirit as we go into the world in the name of Jesus with the good news of the gospel. He will be with us, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is the one who is forever faithful, and so we need not fear. Be assured on this Remembrance Sunday that God has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten His people. He has not forgotten His promises, and He will be found faithful. So let's stand and rejoice together as we sing our closing hymn, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone.